Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on Self-Worst Oh my god, it's really me Hi, I'm Brad Pearson, I'm back Welcome back to Self-Worst, it's been a long time away I know, you missed me, you missed me so much couldn't stand being away. I couldn't stand it either. I'm so glad I'm back. Uh, you know, like I said, I was gonna go on a bit of a hiatus, and then I did. And then I did. I've been doing a coding boot camp. It's been taking up a lot of my time and mental bandwidth, trying to, uh, you know, find a skill uh, that will make me a useful, uh, prosperous, productive member of society. Um, and not be such a, uh, broke loser all the fucking time. Hopefully. We'll see. Uh, we're ending the, uh, we're, we're nearing the end of the, the boot camp, which is why I'm starting to, you know, bring the show back. Um, having a little bit more time these days. Now it's time for a job search, which we'll see how that goes. Uh, what with all my new hacking skills. Um... You know, we'll we'll see how it goes. I'm pretty much the same guy. I'm the same dummy. It's just now uh, I can speak computer. And you know, it's uh, it was it's been an interesting journey. I'm I'm proud of myself. I've pushed myself through a lot of difficulties. I've had a lot. I've had a couple of meltdowns. Not a lot. A couple. But that's to be expected. That's discomfort. That's putting yourself through something that you know is going to be difficult and I knew it was going to be difficult going in I'm not particularly wired for logical thinking and uh, mathematical thinking and and scientific thinking code all of that stuff very is it left brain right brain left brain I don't think that's even real anyway what all I'm saying is it's it's been difficult, but I'm getting there. I'm going at my own pace. I'm trying not to compare myself to all the other people in the class who maybe have a background in uh, tech or maybe have a background in mathematics. So they have a little bit of a leg up. They know a little bit more, like they take to it a little quicker than my kind of noodly, uh, colorful brain does. And that's okay, because I'm going to bring a different skill set to the table and we'll see how the job search goes. Hopefully, um, you know, in the next couple of months, I'm going to uh, have a, a job that doesn't pay poverty wages. We'll see. Hey, we'll see. I guess there's a recession looming, as there always is. Uh, everybody's job is going to get replaced by AI. Everybody's shitting their pants about that. I don't know, man. There's always some big doom on the horizon. There's always a fucking recession. There's always a fucking nuclear war. There's always a fucking climate crisis. There's always a fucking thing that's about to kill everybody. I have very little control over that. So I'm just going to keep chugging along and uh, sending out my resume and uh, doing technical interviews and, uh, you know, uh, preparing my portfolio site right now. Building a portfolio site my damn self. Because, I mean, if you're like a web designer, a web developer, and, and you can't build your own portfolio site then well you know so, this, so that's my next project that's what I'm working on right now 
that. But anyway, uh, I've been pretty good. I've been busy is all. Taking up a lot of my time, a lot of my brain power. So I've been off of this. And uh, coming back, um, it's going to be a little slow, I think. I'm going to do maybe every other week as a release schedule for the time being, just because I'm still not quite up to a uh, full-speed recording schedule. Uh, but I missed doing the show, and I kind of was telling the public uh, you know, in April I was, I'm going to bring the show back and was like, yeah, it's going to be back in the spring. And you know what? It's spring, motherfucker. Let's go. I'm a man of my word. So this week, we're talking to my new friend, Violet Faraday. Uh, she is a pro-dom based in Los Angeles, but she goes all over. She comes to New York a lot. Um, she does, yeah, she does doming stuff, you know? She, uh, you pay her and she'll uh, slap you around a little or put a, a needle in, in your thigh or, uh, you know, call you names or something or whatever you want. I don't know. I, so I talk to sex workers a lot on this show, um, and it's not even because I'm a particularly kinky person. I'm not. You know, I'm fairly straightforward when it comes to all of that. Fairly straightforward. I, I am a very horny person. I have a high sex drive. I think about sex a lot, so I think that's maybe why I gravitate. And I think also just sex workers in general have an openness and a particular insight into the human condition. They see a side of us, a side of, you know, us, humanity, that is, um, that, you know, doesn't uh, get brought out a lot. And uh, I think sex and psychology are intrinsically linked. So that's why I, I've, I've talked to, uh, you know, a handful of people in, in, in the sex trade, and I think it's an interesting topic. I think they're very interesting people. Um, and I think that it's just, uh, it's just a cool, uh, strange job. So that's why. That's why I brought her on. And we talk about a lot of stuff. Um, you know. Uh, it should go without saying that this is a fairly sexually explicit episode, so I don't know. If you feel like that will make you feel weird, then, uh, there's a hundred or so other episodes. Well, yeah, um, that's about all I have to say. I'm going to keep it short at the beginning. I don't, you know, I'm just getting warmed back up. You're going to hear me in the interview. I, I, I lose my train of thought a couple of times. I go off track. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting back into the groove, getting back in shape, but that's okay. I want to, I do want to clarify something that I say during the interview, uh, where I say at some point that I don't, I didn't have like a positive male role model. What I mean by that positive male role model is I did have positive male role models. Um, you know, my papa, uh, a lot of other good dudes, good adult men in my life. But like what I meant was in terms of sex and sexuality, there's not a whole lot to, you can do about positive role models in that aspect. You can't get you can't model your sexuality on your papa. You know, you can't. That's not a thing you want to. That's not a that's not a crossover part. You know, you know, like, hey, dad, don't 
tell me about the G-spot. You know, like, you, you can't. So you got to find all that shit out on your own. And uh, the sources, the resources on, on a lot of that stuff uh, in our adolescence is, uh, well, leave something to be desired. That's all I was trying to get at at that point. You'll see what I mean when, when we get into the interview. It's more talking about, like, what, how odd and confusing it is to uh, be a, a teenage boy. Anyway, I'm over it. I'm fine now. I'm a middle-aged man, and I've worked through most of that shit, I think. I mean, I think I'm in a pretty good place. I don't know. Not the best, not the worst. Uh, so anyway, that's all, uh, you know, the usual. I'll do the plugs right at the beginning of the show. Rate and review, uh, iTunes, tell friends, uh, patreon.com slash selfworst. I'm going to put up some bonus content, I swear. Oh, my God, they're doing the fucking car alarm again. Are you kidding me? This is Maybe, maybe this is the universe just telling me, shut the fuck up, Brad. Okay, so I'm going to shut the fuck up. How about that? I'm just going to go to the interview. How are things? Uh, pretty good. Uh, you were just in New York recently, right? Yeah, it was a whirlwind. Okay, I like... Yeah. Uh, normally when I come, I come by myself or just with my girlfriend. But I was in this like whole house with all these other dominatrixes. So we had like... You know, it was like four of us and then two of our other friends were staying really close by at a different airbnb so we came out in this like huge group and i i didn't have like a moment to think about anything so it was a good it was like a good trip but also like definitely a different experience which just like going on vacation by yourself or like going for work alone yeah so it was exhausting but it was really fun house of dominatrices that's that has to be is it dominatrices is that the plural that's how it is in my head. You know, it's not, it's not like a agreed upon thing. Just like some people spell it dominatrice and some people spell it dominatrix, like with yeah. an X. Um, dominatrices, femdoms, I think is what most people say because it kind of skirts around the issue. <laughs> I was writing out some questions earlier and I, I was having a hard time figuring out how to spell doming. Like the yeah d o d o m m e i n g i n g but do you want the e in there mm -hmm. or is it just d o m m i n g you don't use the e when you use the i n g i see so there, there's, there's a rule about that I don't know I didn't pull yeah I I mean they're only they're only kind of rules like there's still sometimes when I'm writing copy for kink stuff I notice that spell check will tell me things are wrong if that's like you know how we use them in the king community because it's all it's all made up stuff like bdsm is like dungeons and dragons for sex like <laughs> that's true so um how did you get involved in the uh in in pro doming how'd you get started in all of that yeah so i got started with pro doming basically um I think the best way to explain this, I've been kinky my whole life. Uh, for a long time, I thought that to be like a professional dominatrix, you had to have all this gear and training and photo shoots. And, you know, it was just like this different class of person, <laughs> um, even though that's stuff that I was doing in my personal life for fun. 
Um, and then, you know, I was like in the kink community for a long time. People kind of saw me, knew who I was. I was doing other types of sex work. Uh, so I used to be a, a dancer, stripper. And I started to get people that would request me to like step on them or uh, do like foot fetish sessions. And so I kind of started there um, and then slowly, you know, started to pick up more and more fetish work. I really liked it. It was more enjoyable for me than working in a strip club or doing other types of sex work that I had done. Um, then I took a break from all of that uh, and was working in tech for a while because I wanted to try. I was like, okay, like, let's try a email job. Sure. Um, and I did yeah, that we for talked about that. Two you, years. you did some coding for a while. Yeah, yeah. I did that for about two years and uh, I hated it. <laughs> I think I just wanted to like prove to myself I could do it. Sure. Um, what did you hate about it? I hated the work. Yeah, it wasn't the work itself. It was the work culture. Like mm -hmm. I hated having to work like 40 to 60 hours a week and that being the kind of expected thing. Um, not every company is like that, but I was working in startups and that's kind of kind of how they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that uh, I, so I was like thinking about, okay, well, what am I gonna do? Because one thing that I noticed when I was working in tech is that I didn't have time to do all the kinky stuff that I really wanted to do. Um, so I wasn't really like, playing that much with my uh, partners or with my friends. So I wasn't like, I really missed that aspect of my life. And I was like, okay, like, how can I make it that I have enough money to live <laughs> and I get to like be a part of the King community in the way I want? And I said, okay, I guess I could like really get serious about launching a pro dom career instead of having it be like a side hustle. Mm -hmm. um, and then I did that a couple of years ago. And it's been my pretty much full-time gig since then. I've been recording, I assure you. I just need to turn on the backup recording right now. Recording so, in progress. So I'm just letting you know that that's what that is. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so you were saying you you always have been um, like a very kinky person. Um, you know, we don't have to go like super into like your background and everything, but I was wondering kind of if you could talk about like what, you know, what you were like as like an adolescent coming online, discovering, discovering your sexuality, uh, was there uh, like repression, shame stuff that you had to overcome? Was there, uh, you know, attitudes that you had to examine and look at? Or were, were you always just kind of uh, out and about freewheeling and, and, and able to just really be yourself? So I was pretty... I was pretty out early on. I came out as a pansexual when I was a teenager and openly dated people of all genders. I caught a little bit of shit for that where I was living at the time, but not too much. You know, I wasn't hate crime or anything. Um, so I, I definitely like feel like I kind of coming out early as queer made it very easy for me to then come out as kinky later. I went to my first fetish event when I was 18 and I was kind of counting down the days. I didn't go to anything before that because I didn't want to get anyone in trouble, <laughs> but sure, I knew yeah. that I wanted to. Um, so I was like really like just counting down the days to my 18th birthday so I could go to a like a fetish ball and stuff like that. Um, That's very considerate I, of you, very I, nice of you to, to, to wait until, you know, <laughs> and, and not, not jailbait anybody. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I didn't want to jail bet anybody, but I knew I knew the kind of stuff I was interested in and what I wanted to do. <laughs> right. Um, I think everybody from our generation probably probably saw porn before they were eighteen. <laughs> uh yeah yeah probably i mean my my first i I think i'm a little older than you so my first was like it was all analog you know it was uh i'm of the generation where we were like that's so retro me and my friends we'd there's a thing with like the pre-internet generation uh where boys find garbage bags full of porno mags like under a bridge or like out in the woods I don't know where they come from. There's some sort of cycle of nature that happens. Guys jerk off to these and they put them in a trash bag and throw them out in the woods for the next group of kids to come find. And so that's how we were exposed to our first, uh, you know, spank mags and everything. And like, you know, it was, it was a fucking, it was a revelation. It was amazing. Um, so I wonder what not having that search function does to people's sexuality. Like, I wonder how many people have just got a fetish because their first, their first dirty magazine was just like, chicks on motorcycles or whatever yeah i don't know i mean well i will say that like as a kid like i grew up in the midwest and was a you know grew up in a pretty like progressive liberal family um and you know had a lot of uh you know values of like equality and uh, gender politics and feminism you know like in my head when i was a teenager um but most of the material that i would consume uh was very much not did not have that sort of attitude you know it was like the like larry flint hustler kind of generation of of <laughs> like porn and attitude towards uh, women and porn and, and things like that. So it definitely uh, gave me this weird schism in my head of like who I am as a sexual being. And like, I felt sort of betrayed by being, you know, aroused, being turned on by, by this stuff, but also understanding that like this was, it, it really was a lot of it was like really disrespectful and demeaning towards women. Like in a, like in a, in a very, like not in like a, like Dom sub, like, you know, call her a slut because she wants to be called a slut kind of way, but like in a, like really yeah. like shitty way. Um, and so that led to, I mean, you, I don't know where you're from in the United States, but like if you're from the Midwest, you grow up, somewhat sexually repressed like period it, it just <laughs> i grew up unitarian and i still had to deal with all kinds of like sexual shame and 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 all of that kind of stuff and and like figuring that out and overcoming that and like you know uh understanding that like just because i you know jerk off and like titties doesn't mean i'm like a misogynist like i, I really had to square that circle yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something I deal with a lot in my work now is a lot of my clients are very, very ashamed of their kinks. Or uh, often I get a lot of people that are queer or suspect they might be queer or suspect they might be trans. They're not really sure because they're, you know, like older, older men from a generation where it's less acceptable than ours. Um, they want to explore those things with me and it's very, it's, it's, it can be like a really gratifying part of my work, but it is, 
you know, it's tough. I'm, I'm not a therapist. I'm, <laughs> I'm a dominatrix. So I, I make sure to tell them that, you know, like I can help you explore, but I'm not a mental health professional. Um, but when they understand like, you know, BDSM, while it can be like therapeutic or cathartic, it's not therapy. I think it can be a really good addition, like in people's, yeah, in people's journeys about that stuff. But it's so, it's really common. I get so many people that, um, let's say if, even if they're not really into anything, uh, too far out of the spectrum of, of vanilla, like it's not that uncommon for people to book me for stuff that's, you wouldn't even think people would book a dominatrix for it. Like I've, I wrap them in light bondage or, some people, they want to do like uh, really affirming scenes where I'm not actually terribly mean to them. There's still a power exchange, but I'm really, <laughs> mostly really nice. Mm -hmm. Like I might be uh, dressing them or helping them pick up makeup or something. If it's someone that's never tried dressing femme before. Um, and, you know, that like, that can be, it can be really gratifying to see them uh, kind of get over that yeah. but sometimes they never do you know like some some of these people they they um <laughs> they'll come and they'll they'll you have a session and then they'll feel bad afterwards because yeah. they are they want they don't know if it's like okay they don't know if it's okay that they've seen a sex worker or that they like to be degraded or they like to get pegged or whatever it is yeah um i imagine i mean like that's why most of this stuff is still pretty underground, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, and when it comes to, I mean, there's all that, you know, especially with like doming and subbing and stuff like that. There's, there's a lot of weird, like legal gray area that it occupies um, in terms of like what qualifies as, you know, like sex work or like what's prostitution, what's not prostitution. Like, you know, it like, you have sex for money on camera and that's porn and that's fine, but you do it privately and then that's prostitution and that's illegal. It's never made any fucking sense to me, but it's all because I think that we live in this society that likes to compartmentalize uh, this, you know, outward self, this superego of a, you know, upstanding moral citizen and then a shadow self of this like depraved monster who wants to, you know, who wants to like get pegged and suck the strap and stuff. And like, if we could only just let those things kind of commingle and be fine, I don't think that so many people would have to, um, yeah, just just walk around with with all of that in their heads all the time, and and it's you know, I think it's really cool um, that you know with a, with the understanding that like a, a dominatrix is a dominatrix and not a therapist, and they can't fix all your problems. But I do think that it can be a uh, a part of a holistic approach to overcoming uh, certain. I don't know, sexual shames that you just like, you can talk about it with the therapist until you're blue in the face, but there's something somatic about it that I think a, like an actual physical experience has to do. Absolutely. I mean, a huge thing about seeing a professional um, is like, I'm there for that person. So I'm not going to be judging the way that they look. I'm not going to be judging necessarily how much they know about kink, how much gear they have, if they say all the right things, as long as they are curious, kind, respectful, follow my instructions and, you know, tr treat me well, 
we're gonna we're gonna have a good time and do the thing that they want and i i will enjoy it mm-hmm. um so that can be really freeing for people it can also be really freeing for them because it because they're paying me it kind of takes some of the worry that people have when they're like maybe maybe dealing with someone they're dating or a partner and they're so concerned about uh having like an unequal exchange or if the other person is enjoying it um with a professional, I think it's a little bit easier just to kind of lay out what you want or to find one that offers what you want. Right. And then ask for that. There's still negotiation and consent on my end, but um it's it's like if a random guy said, I yeah, hi, Violet, my fantasy is that you put me in a sleep sack and put headphones on me and keep me in sensory deprivation for an hour, and then you torture me and we do this interrogation scene or whatever i'm like okay that's nice have a great day (laughs) because it's a lot of work on my end but you know if he's like paying me then (laughs) then that makes the exchange a little bit easier um not to say i don't enjoy those things i just have like a much longer list of people that want me to do that kind of stuff to them than i could ever get to (laughs) i'm sure um so that's like it's like a cheat code to getting your fantasy fulfilled, you know. Well, yeah, that that's the other thing is, you know, again, large picture society is and our approach to relationships and sex and dating, you know, even among I think more progressive minded folks, uh monogamy and marrying in your 20s is still pretty much the norm, you know, and um I think a lot of people discover or they maybe discover it early on, but they come to terms with it later. They're just like, man, I need to do this, you know, and their partner isn't willing. And then what do you do? Do you like divorce and break up a fucking marriage because you want to get pegged and your wife doesn't want to do that? She's not comfortable with that. And like, where do you negotiate that? Because like, I can see how, like, you don't want to, like, pressure your partner into doing something that they don't want to do, of course. So, like, that's where a third party comes in. It's, so, I don't, I don't usually ask my clients too much about their personal life, but a lot of them will share with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say, I, so I really prefer if my clients have a partner that they know, the partner knows that they're seeing me. Yeah. Um. And that's happened, that's, that's happened quite a bit. And it also is like, uh, less common, but it's a real treat when couples will come together and maybe one of them wants to learn how to dominate or, you know, a partner wants to get dominated or what have you, but they just don't really know where to start. That's, that's my favorite outcome for that scenario is that the reason it's not happening is they're just kind of clueless of where to begin. Uh, and then they can come to me together and I can teach them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say that's definitely the minority. I ha- I've had quite a few people over the course of my career that were in like semi-open things or maybe they were only allowed to see sex workers, but they weren't allowed to have like another girlfriend or something for the the reason that you just said. But I think more common is that people just lie. Um, yeah. And that's sad to me, but I understand. Um, I understand that it's hard when you're, your whole lives are entangled and you're, you have kids and um, you're financially committed to each other. I mean, I don't know 
exactly what that's like because I've never I've never been married and I don't have children yeah. and, and I'm polyamorous but um I, I I'm I'm sympathetic it seems like a really hard hard position to be in yeah that's one of those judge. things like it's uh that's a part of life man like I I'm old enough that like I know a lot of people who have gotten married and divorced and remarried at this point who I like you know knew when we were young and um you know, in some cases in those marriages, like there was infidelity on somebody's part. And like, I, I've never cheated on a partner. I don't think I have it in me. I, that's not something that I would just not feel comfortable following through on, you know, like, cause it's not like you just, the way cheating works is you don't just fucking trip and fall and land in someone's pussy. Like, you know, you, there's, <laughs> make a lot of decisions talking and eye fucking and all of this stuff like that happens leading up to it like you know what the fuck you're doing um and so like that amount of steps is just like nah man like I, i'll fuck up and like you know say something shitty to a partner or like lose my temper or like be inconsiderate or forget something because that's just like a one mistake thing where i'm like oh shit i forgot myself for a second but like to do that you have to really go through some steps but again i'm not judging anybody who's done that really because like i like i get like part of me gets it because it's just like yeah what do you do like you want to have your cake and eat it too i kind of get it like it it's got to be a really tough thing to negotiate you know it is. Yeah. I think ultimately the right thing to do is always to be honest. I, I think like cheating is usually, I, I don't know. It's kind of cowardly. It's like, you're just avoiding having hard conversations about your needs or you're like codependent with a person. So you can't lose them, but you want to do something that would really hurt them. Um, yeah. It's, it's I, like I ghosting, would... but it's, it's deeper in, you know, it's just, it's just, yeah. Like the nail goes further in. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are pretty conflict avoidant too, and that makes yes. it so that they have worse conflicts later. Um, that's something I really appreciate about the kink uh, community and the the non-monogamous community in particular is like, well, we really like to have conversations, <laughs> especially like if you go to like BDSM parties and stuff, you mm -hmm. learn really early on if you want to play with people, you need to get really good at saying no, asking for what you like. Uh, what kind of words you like to be called, stuff like, you know, like things like that, negotiating what your scene's going to look like. Um, I actually think like learning to do that early on when I was, you know, in my late adolescence or what have you, I don't know what you call the years from like 18 to 22, it helped me a lot yeah. in jobs, both like in the service industry and sex work. And when I was working on a white collar job, um, because I was like, got really good at being assertive. Mm. Yeah, it's, I mean, um, there's a lot of uh, stereotypes and assumptions about the the world of kink and the world of uh, sex work. Um, and, you know, sex work in general, especially, is, like, pretty hard vilified, uh, I would say, in yeah. general. <laughs> uh, even among, again, even among, like, fairly, like, uh, progressive minded people like, like Bernie Sanders voted in favor of FOSTA SESTA, which is that, uh, this, you know, on the surface 
to protect people from human trafficking, but all it really did was remove these services that were keeping sex workers safe and vetting clients and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, so like, I, I get it because I like, feel like you got are, a broad deal with that though. You yeah. know, like people, like a lot of people are really mad at him for that. And of course I was upset because Fosta Sesta negatively affected me and so many people and put so many people in danger. But I don't think Bernie Sanders did that because he like hates sex workers. He probably, you know, like every, a bunch of people came to him and they said, you don't like human trafficking, right? Well, we did all this research to tell you how to not do human trafficking. Well, yeah, that's, uh, or I to mean, tell you how to make it. So, so I, yeah, I don't like, I, I, I was disappointed he did that, but I also don't think like it was out of any malice towards the community, just no. ignorance. I don't, I mean, like, I don't hold wants, it against wants him, to be the but... person against the anti-trafficking bill. Exactly. Well, that's the thing is that this is something that I think uh, gets weaponized a lot is, you know, like human trafficking or like uh, sexualizing children, things like that, that, that are like, obviously we like anybody with any fucking sense and morality is against these things, but things that aren't about that get couched in a discussion about like, you want to stop uh, children from being sex trafficked right and it's like well yeah but you know like that's an inarguable point that's like a third rail kind of discussion you know and and uh it just it's rough because like i i don't know i just feel like i've i lost my train of thought <laughs> Like this is my this is my first interview back in a long time. Um, I lost my fucking train of thought like right in the middle of a sentence. It happens. No, but you're you're. I mean, what, you, what you're saying is true. They conflate like these terrible things that sex workers don't like that mm -hmm. we don't want to be happening with our entire industry, and then you know the the negative outcome is that you know the people that they claim they're trying to save are harmed. For example, I've never met a woman that was arrested in any kind of uh, sex work raid or sting that that arrest helped her. Yeah. Uh, most women are traumatized when the police drop them out of a strip club half naked and put them on the news and bust them with solicitation because then they can't get jobs. Um, they're they're pushed further into worse corners of the industry. Like if you have. Um, multiple charges on your record or, you know, sexual assaults at the hands of the police or any of them, any of the various things that can happen when you get arrested, um, especially when you're a marginalized, vulnerable person, you know, that's, it, it, it doesn't help people, but they keep, they yeah. keep doing it saying they want, they want to help it, us. Right. It pushes people further underground and they can't get hired anywhere except for like the real sleazy place off the highway. That's like going to be even worse, you know, like, I mean, and that's what I was, exactly. I just remembered what I was trying to say. Like, certainly there are, you know, there is exploitation and abuse that exists within those industries. I wouldn't necessarily say that I have seen any evidence that it occurs at any higher rate than any other type of labor. Um, and in fact, in the just like regular kink community, not even talking about like professionally, like pro doms such as yourself, but just like, hey, I'm on FetLife and I'm a dentist and I like, you know, like watching my wife get fucked or whatever. Like it, those people like almost always have like a very strict and strong ethical moral code that they are following 
it is a very there are a lot of rules and boundaries and it's not this like uh you know hedonistic den of of sin and vice that it is made out to be yeah yeah i mean we absolutely have issues with consent or predators in the kink community but that is a thing that has been in every community that i've ever been a part of whether it's dungeons and dragons or magic the gathering or kink or organizing spaces or anything like that uh people join communities and then some of those people are bad sometimes um so i don't like to act like it doesn't exist but uh, i certainly feel safer as far as you know consent goes or just being a being a femme person in a sexualized space in a kink party than i do uh or than i did like when i was in college at college parties um, because there's just more awareness about where things could go wrong overall. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's going to happen anywhere. It's the same thing, like you said about, about, you know, um, exploitation in the sex industry. It happens. It's really, it's, it's bad. It's bad, but it's also bad when it happens in factory work or yeah. with, living maids or any a, a lot of feminized labor and t takes you know uh, has problems with that all, all labor i mean I, tldr yeah. capitalism yeah. bad if you don't want people exploited maybe meet their material needs and uh then they'll have more choices about what they want to do I was listening to another um interview with a uh, with a pro dom you know just to kind of like prepare and Think about questions for this and she brought up an interesting point that um you know the, i mean the the vulnerability factor in a dom sub relationship is really interesting and when you think about you know it, just take your classic like dom sub scene like you know you're the dom you're you, the the client is the sub you're gonna like order him around and step on his balls or whatever right um the I think the attitude from an outsider the or the perspective maybe from an outsider is that um, the person holding all of the like the power, uh, the person being the most vulnerable uh, is you know the person with the power is the Dom, the person who is the most vulnerable is the sub, but that's not necessarily the case because the sub actually has to assert a lot of boundaries, has to, be okay with themselves being made very vulnerable, perhaps immobilized, you know, uh, and the, the Dom themselves, they have to also like really be in tune with what's going on and like, you know, what they actually want and, and are, am I okay with doing this and blah, blah, blah. So like, there is like a lot more of a, uh, power trade i guess that, that i find really really interesting or like i don't know case in point like if you watch like a gangbang video or like a bukake video or something like who's the actual star of the show there it's the it's the it's the girl getting railed by all the guys like the other like yeah. everybody else they're just there they're, they're just dicks for the scene like the actual yeah. person who it centers around who's important who people come there for is the 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 girl who's apparent you know who's supposedly being 
you know, dominated, degraded, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's a, I think of it as a, you know, like a two-way street or almost like doing a dance where, uh, like, let's say I'm doing a waltz with someone, but I'm leading, but, you know, they're still an active participant. They agree to waltz with me. They, they can, they can say when they want to be done. Um, so I might be directing things or deciding how fast we're going to go or how we're going around the room, but they still have to be playing along. Um, and to speak to the vulnerability point, um, I feel vulnerable in scenes in my personal life and in sessions all the time. It's a mutual trust. Um, so some, I mean, quite frankly, some BDSM is just a little ridiculous and it's like this extended improv sex role play. (laughs) Um, and so like, if you zoom out, you know, you realize, okay, I'm like standing in a nurse costume squeezing a syringe of bimbo juice at you or whatever I'm doing in the moment. (laughs) Uh, And I might, I'm genuinely really into it in the moment, but that's because I'm trusting you are too. And we're both like showing up with that, that vulnerability. Um, Because I know some of it, like from the outside, if you just pop in, (laughs) it can look really, I mean, sometimes the things that I do are that kind of like classic, sexy mean girl stuff black latex dress long boots drawing it out teasing people uh looking intimidating dragging my nails down their skin that's obviously a huge part of my business but sometimes it gets really strange and avant-garde <laughs> and and um you know all the all the rules and the pop and circumstance and the role play like that can be vulnerable for me too um it can also be really emotional like i have clients that i've had long term relationships with that i like genuinely deeply genuinely deeply care about and cherish and it's interesting to see you know where that relationship goes um and how we can grow together as as a like domina sub um so yeah I, f- I feel like you know my work can be really vulnerable on my end as well yeah i mean it's like any improv like you you have to yes and and you can't like be in the middle of a scene and have your scene partner just be like eh, this is stupid you know, like, cause that's just going to totally, that would destroy me. <laughs> yeah. It's going to whiplash you. That's going to just like really take you out of everything. Like that's so uncomfortable. That's like, if you're performing and your mic cuts out or something, you know, like that's just yeah. that's awful. It's a nightmare, you know? And so like to trust somebody with that kind of, uh, you know, part of yourself is, is really, uh, you know, it, it, it takes a lot and it, it's, it's, um, you know, I, I think it's, I don't know. Like right now I fucking walk dogs for a living. And I think that like you as a pro dom, like you apply yourself much more to what you do than what I do. Like for sure. You know, like I'm halfway tuned out half the time in, 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 in what I do. Like it's, it's, it's hard not to. I'm, I'm like a workaholic now that I love my job. I kind of, so if I, like someone had gone back a couple of years and told me uh, how much I, how many classes I was going to take as a dominatrix, like how much continuing education there is and how, um, how much cleaning I was going to do. I probably wouldn't believe them. That's like two parts of the job. I think a lot of people don't think about is like, we're always learning. Uh, so I've I've done like group classes on BDSM skills, and then I've also done a lot of one-on-one training uh, with different 
pro doms that have been in the industry a long time that maybe they specialize in something like coming up soon I have a class on needle play that I'll be attending it's about like artistic piercing and then next month I'm doing like a advanced whip skills class and this is there's just so many things you can learn that you're like always going to be in you're always going to be studying <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but but I wasn't necessarily like that in past jobs I just really like this one um because I I came to this work because it's because I wanted to do it more um because it was something that I I missed I missed being able to do frequently. So I said, okay, well, if it's my job, I'll get to do it all the time. Do you tend to be more like a, on the Dom side or the sub side, just like IRL, like off the clock? Um, so I'm in both of my relationships. Now I have two partners. There's a, a DS thing where I'm, I'm the Dom and they're the sub. Um, and that is what I prefer for relationships. I don't really see myself seriously dating anyone that doesn't identify as a submissive at this point. Um, not to say I wouldn't casually or be interested. It's just um, that's usually what I'm more drawn to for mm -hmm. long-term dynamics. Uh, I am a masochist though, and I do enjoy occasionally switching um, but I don't really consider myself submissive. So I like to experience sensations or fear or like extreme stuff. Um, and so I'll switch a couple times a year, especially for live performances, but I definitely lean much, much further to the dominant side of the scale. When I first joined the kink community, when I was young, I thought that I was submissive because that's kind of what was portrayed. You know, I was like a cute college co-ed yeah. <laughs> with my little pigtails. I was like, okay, this is all the girls that look like me in porn get beat up. And so I was like really excited to try a bunch of things as a sub. Um, and I realized that I like kind of bossed around my doms, you know, like I was like, no, actually I read in this BDSM manual that this is how you do this. Or just kind of being like a, like a little bit of a power bump. <laughs> right. And I realized, okay, maybe I could do the switch thing. So I was switching for a while and then it just kind of happened over time that I ended up in the dominant position more and more and more and more and more and now we've ended up here um but yeah I think I like explored my subby side early on and because I thought that's what I was supposed to do sure. uh, I realized it's not quite me <laughs> yeah I mean I almost uh I know what you're talking about because I almost come from like the other direction just like being like uh you know, sensitive artsy boy. I just sort of figured that like, oh, I'm supposed to be like a little, like a, like girls, like a skinny, like soy boy fucking like, you know, I, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm a, maybe I'm sub, maybe I, maybe I would like to see a, a, a more dominating woman. And I explored that in dating, but like it, it just never, it never really did it for me. I was just like, oh no, I don't want this because like, again, going back to like the, uh, discovering sex and porn through mainstream like kind of old school porno was uh <laughs> the idea of being like a guy who's a dom is left a really bad taste in my mouth so to speak you know like it just it just was like oh that's not the kind of guy i want to be like this doesn't seem nice like this just seems you know like especially like when i was like when internet porn was starting to become a thing, um, it was like, for whatever reason, like, you know how you go onto like Pornhub now and like, it's all like weird, like 
stepbrother, stepsister stuck in a dryer bullshit. Back in the day, for whatever reason, it was all like like gag on my cock, deep throat, like make the girl throw up kind of stuff. And it was all just like it was like really rough and like too much. And I was like, oh, this is this makes me feel bad, you know, and like I didn't ever think that that's what I wanted to be or inflict on somebody and and like I'm still like not like but in an actual like sexual relationship like I do like being like a big guy and like you know being strong and like being you know like having the girl be like oh you're bigger than me blah 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 you know like all of that stuff like that's <laughs> fun for me and like I like being I like feeling strong I like feeling tall I like feeling like all of this you know uh masculine energy that uh yeah it's it's taken me a long time to kind of come to terms with just in terms of like because with masculinity there's so much fucking uh there's a lot of you know uh you gotta not throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know with with masculinity with like traditional masculinity yeah that's that's interesting i feel like um I, I, I hear that. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of like baggage that comes with, with masculinity where people feel like they have to fulfill this role or that role. I guess same thing with women. Like I, yeah. I've definitely kind of, it's kind of weird to be a woman that's, you know, dominant, uh, sexually and also kind of assertive in my personal life. Like I, like I have a lot of, you know, uh characteristics that people would would call masculine but i'm so like high femme you know like i love wearing makeup i love getting my nails done i love yeah like high heel like reality tv all the all the stereotypical girl things i just i just like bossing people around (laughs) yeah it's Um, i don't know like it's it really is just about being who you are and um you know I'm all for, like, I love the fact that we are in a generation where, uh, you know, despite the powers that be's best efforts, like, people are exploring different kinds of um, gender expression and um, kind of breaking apart the gender binary and are going with their own ways of of looking at stuff uh, because... I think that those really strict models of masculinity and femininity being imposed onto people like that, like clearly that fucks with people because like in another world, there's another Brad out there who like was given an okay model of like what masculinity is and can be. Um, and wouldn't have to have spent like 10 15 years like in this like really roundabout way coming back around to like the okay parts of it and feeling all this like shame and like spending your whole like 20s like trying to act like michael sarah and like you know like not just not really feeling like yourself and um you know and and the same with you know like the same with women too like obviously like there's the 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 gender norms that are placed on women are more intense more fucking oppressive but um 
you know, I think they exist for, for everybody. And I think some people break away from them only to discover that like, actually like, I, I, I like being a manly man. I like being a girly girl. And like, that would be fine if it, if that wasn't like accepted as like the thing that you had to be from the get go. And it didn't feel like something you had yeah, to like yeah. rebel against for like 10 years. All that prescriptive stuff in any direction, I think is bad. Like, I think hopefully we'll move, we'll continue to move away from that um, either like as a reactionary thing to things we don't like, or uh, like, because we think it's the right thing to do politically or whatever. Um, And, and people can kind of design the, the life and the way that they want to move through the world that works for them as long as not hurting other people. Um, That's I mean, that's what all of, all that stuff is, um, you know, oppressive, whether it's feeling like you have to, pay for everything because you're a man or you have to be strong or because you're a girl you need to be polite and pleasant all the time like mm-hmm. it's cool if you are those things <laughs> and you that makes you happy but um I, I really I guess um the easiest way to say it is we don't we don't fit into perfectly neat boxes like that and no, I'd I really like yeah. to see people I mean on that not feel bad if they don't yeah on that note like um I don't know. Do you do you feel like everybody is kinky in some way or do you feel like there genuinely are just like vanilla people? I think there are pretty vanilla people. I think there are less of them than uh are currently I think I feel like there's probably a lot of people that are kinky that are either not aware or in denial. But I think there's also a ton of people that are perfectly happy just to have like normal good passionate sex and call it a day. Mhm. I think that exists and I'm very happy for them. I would love to be able to get off without the <laughs> 67 bells and whistles and power exchange scenarios that yeah. I need. There's a lot of fucking add-ons. There's a lot of packages. There's a lot of stuff you gotta. Yeah. It's like, I have a lot of, it's like a lot of, um, I recently did a, a scene with someone where I got, uh, this is just in my my personal life, but I got all dressed up in in latex first, which is like a whole, it's like a whole process. Like you have to lube up your body and the latex, and it's like putting a big condom on your body. Like it's yeah. it's hard to get in and out. Uh, and then you know, like these high heeled boots and all this stuff. And I um, was really happy to do it. Like that being you know in this this dominatrix image also turns me on it's sexy for me too and the getting ready is part of a ritual it's like it's almost mm-hmm. like part of the foreplay uh, especially if i have my sub help me with that stuff uh because there's all this anticipation building um and then you know maybe i'm putting them in bondage or what have you uh maybe there's some torture who knows but that's a lot of steps before me coming yeah <laughs> so sometimes sometimes i <laughs> When I hear, you know, my vanilla friends say, oh, I don't need any of that. I say, oh, must be nice. <laughs> yeah, it's got, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, to just be able to like, you know, just, just have a quick one on a, you know, a Tuesday morning and just <laughs> yeah. like be done with it. Go on with your day, you know, like just, that's it. And just like get it out of your system and then just to go, uh, uh, you know, about your life. Like that's, that's great. Um, there's this great concept, I think, in, um, you know, BDSM that, that I've read a lot about you know, called aftercare. Um, can you talk a little bit yeah. about that? Because I mean, obviously you'd know more about this than me. 
Yeah, so aftercare um, is uh, simply put, taking care of your partner after a scene. So aftercare looks different for everybody. It's actually in my negotiation, like my standard negotiation before a scene with someone, professional or lifestyle. Uh, I'll ask them what aftercare looks for like for them as a sub. And then I'll also tell them what it looks like for me as a top uh, because doms can, can need and want aftercare as well. Um, so in the community, there's something called uh, like sub drop which is after you have all these crazy good endorphins in a scene and you're feeling really happy, sometimes you can feel really tired afterwards, like either physically or mentally, or you can even feel a little bit depressed. Not everybody gets that and not everybody gets that every scene, um, but it's one of the reasons we do aftercare. Um, it just kind of brings you back to equilibrium. Uh, so common things that a sub might want as aftercare would be like platonic touch, like cuddling or sitting next to each other, um, a blanket, a snack is really common, especially mm -hmm. something with a little bit of sugar because you just exerted yourself a bunch. Um, or if you were bleeding, you're, you know, like when you go donate blood, they give you an right. orange juice and a cookie. <laughs> um, so sometimes it's just about like replacing the, the you know, lost um, electrolytes or sugar or what have you. And sometimes it's more emotional and different people have different um different preferences with that. I played with people that are like aftercare with me for like a, a basic scene is just, we just like talk about it and do a kind of a post-mortem about what went good, what we liked, what we didn't like. Um, and then some people really like it, you know, they almost want to be baby. They want, they want a blanket. They want a cold water. They want their favorite stuffy. They want, they want comfortable clothes. And so there's a huge range. Um, for me, I, uh, if it's like something really like physical or like labor intensive for a scene, I usually want to be brought a cold drink mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. or just be able to like sit down and decompress. Um, what's really important for me is to check in later once everyone's kind of returned to an emotional equilibrium about what um, the sub liked, what their favorite part was, if there was anything we could skip next time. I'm really, really open to feedback after scenes because I, I want both people to enjoy it and I want to kind of you know get that other person's perspective but most of the time it's really nice like I'll get like a really nice email or a text after I play with someone just saying that they appreciated it and as a dom that can be really affirming because you always want to know that like you know you could like some of the things I do to people are pretty heinous <laughs> right. like I do a lot of like, needles and stapling and genital torture um I dunk people's heads in toilets, all kinds of stuff, you know? And then like, you can, you can like reflect after them and be like, damn, that was fucked up. But then you get the text from them the next day that says, I've been glowing ever since. Like that was great. Right. I had a pep in my step all week. Thank you so much. You add a lot to my life, et cetera. And that's, that's really good aftercare for tops. Almost every, every domino I know appreciates like a post scene kind of um, reflection. Yeah. Well, and again, like there is a, an aspect of vulnerability and, you know, especially in like some scenes when it comes to things like consensual non-consents, like there is a, oftentimes like that's a very, that can be a real, that's a grenade to handle. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, and, and oftentimes when people come to that kind of fantasy, it's because there is some sort of trauma in their past that not everybody but 
a lot of people who come to something like consensual non-consent, it's because they have some sort of trauma that they have, they're trying to process physically. And again, you're a dom, not a therapist, but, um, (laughs) you know, the, the after, like, that's where I understand it the most is like, oh yeah, you would definitely need to like sit down for a second and just like make sure that the other person's cool and like we, we've we're we're processing now we've worked through that and everything's fine and we can kind of come back to like you know uh, reality and and you know not just have that like kind of whiplash moment yeah um, i think it's so important even in like casual hookups like you like go and sleep with somebody or have sex with them or whatever like it's like cool to like you know speak to them like they're a person after make sure everyone even if it's the most casual thing in the world like feels appreciated and valued and respected and kind of like figure out like what was you know what was good about that i think aftercare could could i think the vanilla community could you could could use aftercare yeah yeah. even like when i was single and like even when i was having like you know like hookups or one night stands or whatever if the girl like wanted to leave or wanted me to leave like immediately after i'd be like are we cool like what i did i do like you know it like sometimes it's like okay i get it you got to get up in the morning whatever like you know i got to get back to work or some shit but like uh in a few rare cases it was like that was pre that was like pre-understood it's like you're just gonna come over we're gonna do this and then you have to go because i got a thing Right. But like, if it's just like out of nowhere and they just like, they're putting their clothes back on and they leave, then it's just like, then it feels awkward on a couple of levels. Cause you're like, are you okay with what just happened? Like, was this not good? Like, you know, like you definitely want to check in on that and like, make sure that everything's copacetic, you know, no matter what side you're on. Um, yeah, and it's yeah, absolutely. like you definitely need a debriefing after something like that, even if it is just like a drunken hookup. Hundred percent. I think that if someone's willing to share something vulnerable and intimate with you, whether it's sex or a kink scene, what have you, and you had time for that, and you had time to plan it, there's no way in hell you don't have ten to fifteen minutes to make sure that they're okay afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> And if you don't, if you can't make that time, I think you're kind of being a selfish person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, and so like, lastly, like, I mean, we've, we've been talking a lot about how, you know, like, this is so like therapeutic and really important, but like, I think the other thing about it is that, you know, like, it's just, it's fun and it's, a um, enjoyable thing and so like that's why i like talking about sex and talking to uh uh you know the horny people be they professional about it or not um just because like it's an aspect of life and i think that like i always admire when people can talk very frankly about what they like um what was that lady's name? Uh, not Dr. Ruth. I mean, I like Dr. Ruth. She's cool. Uh, but uh, the, the other, like the Sunday night sex show lady, she was just this like old broad on public access who had like had a call in show. <laughs> and she was just so 
frank and matter of fact about like discussing sex. And I'd never heard anybody talk about it that way without like really becoming a shrinking violet and getting all this like really, so to speak, um, like getting like red in the face and getting, you know, like really bashful about it. It, it, When, you know, you can talk about like recipes you like just very plainly matter of factly and, you know, like, Oh yeah. With the prosciutto and you put this on this and like, then it's really pleasurable. It's a, it's the same kind of thing. It's a pursuit of physical pleasures and fun and part of what makes being a human bearable um so i i just want to live in a world where we can talk more about this more frankly i really like what you said about it like just being a fun thing it's something i think about a lot because people um you know some people like they do have those really almost like spiritual experiences like in community or it's really cathartic for them or whatever Um, And I think that's great and it exists, but also sometimes I'm just horny and I want to do fun, horny stuff with my friends and I don't need like a big philosophical reason Mm -hmm. or it to be like perfectly palatable to the people that don't care about it. Um, And I think that's fine. Um, You know, like I I get, I do a lot of like interviews or talks or whatever, and people want to ask about, you know, like various I don't know, moral implications of kink. And I'm kind of like, I don't know. It feels like it feels like a fool's game to try to tell you it's always 100% good or it's always like the most responsible or therapeutic thing. Like I've done a lot of things in my life that no one, that were way worse for me than no one ever questioned. Like eat McDonald's, college boxing. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, And, you know, like it's okay to just have fun with your friends, you know? It's, it's nice. It's a... Uh, I, I think it's like worth examining, but I also think it's definitely um, totally fine if you don't know why you like to get spanked and you'd like to continue to do it. Totally. <laughs> you're not hurting anyone. So um, maybe maybe your own butt. <laughs> last question. How's your uh, mental health overall uh, now versus, you know, like what's, what's your journey been? Um, you know, keep that as uh, long or short as you would like. Yeah, so um, I used to struggle with my mental health a lot more when I was younger. Um, uh, I've been in and out of therapy for a lot of my adult life. Um, The last like three or four years, though, I've noticed such a big difference. Like um, when I was younger, I would kind of, I I would go through these patterns of like overextending myself and then kind of like freaking out and blowing up my life. And by freaking out, I don't mean like, you know, stealing an ambulance, (laughs) more stuff like uh, getting stressed out and just walking out of a job or things like that. Um, But over, like, I've just been like less emotionally reactive over the last like four, four plus years and everything's a lot more stable now. And then when I finally returned to pro-dom work and like really committed myself to it, there was a big change that happened in my life where now the majority of my day i do things i like with people i want to be around and that was like a complete you know 180 for me um most days i make my own schedule i say no to work i don't want to do i see my friends all the time i'm basically bi-coastal right now i'm between la and new york every month um hanging out with people that i want to be around and i make enough money that my 
material needs are met and I'm not stressed about it. And so all of those things have made it so my mental health is pretty good these days. Uh, and that's as someone that used to struggle a lot. Like I was diagnosed with um, depression and CPTSD. Uh, definitely still have those things, but the symptoms don't derail my life anymore and haven't for years. That's great. That's great. Um, yeah, that's, that was usually like my question is like, what's your main project in therapy? But that sounds like that's what, uh, so it's depression and, and CPTSD. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, which I'll, I, the type of therapy that I found most helpful for me is working with therapists that, um, really understand the neurological implications of trauma. Uh, because I feel like, you know, stuff like cognitive behavioral therapy is like great if you're kind of anxious, mm -hmm. but not great if you have like severe developmental trauma or something like yeah. that. Cause it's hard to like, like if a therapist asks me a question, well, why are you afraid of that? What's the worst case scenario? Like my answer is going to be pretty gruesome and actually scary because yeah. <laughs> it's probably something I've experienced. Um, so dealing with therapists that are, uh, kind of uh, more into dialectical behavior therapy or like somatic stuff has been really, really helpful. And some of the therapy I got early on that was more the other type made me feel really bad because it wasn't working. And I felt like I was like irreparably damaged or something. I've heard um, this before. So once I've, heard, enough... I've heard people like, cause I, CBT did a lot for me, like really helped uh, because, uh, you know, just as somebody with like anxiety and, uh, negative thought patterns um and just you know just really bad extrapolations on uh you know domino effects of, of things that might come uh it's really good at finding that and isolating that and just being like that's a thought don't worry about it but like i have heard people um actually fairly recently talk about like yeah i had you know i was dealing with ptsd and uh, i tried cbt and it made it worse you know it's like interesting yeah. that's a that's an interesting uh that's an interesting conundrum i also found meditation and mindfulness were not good for me personally but i know that they're really helpful for a lot of people mm -hmm. so i always tell people like if you're on some kind of mental health journey it really sucks because it's so hard just to get the help in the first place but you might have to try a few things before you find the one that fits yeah. for you and i just don't give up because like my you know i used to be in so much pain on a day-to-day -day basis and not even know how to how to cope with it uh and that's not true anymore and i never thought that would be true for me and it has been true for years now that like my life's pretty good and i'm pretty happy um but I just had to, I just had to find, find the stuff that, that fit for me. So it was a bit of a winding road. Um, so lastly, like, what would you, um, you know, say to somebody out there who's feeling like, I don't know, I'm curious about this stuff. I'm curious about the, the kink world or like, I don't know if it's for me or, but like, I feel weird talking about this stuff with somebody. Like what I want is to weird or gross or embarrassing uh where do i even begin yeah so i it, this is dependent on the area that you live in um not everyone is going to have access to this but if you're close to a major city i would highly highly recommend checking out local dungeons that do events and seeing if they have a newbie night or a class that you can attend a lot of them have kind of 
kink 101 events that are not play parties. It's more like you go and you sit in a seminar and maybe you do some icebreakers with people and you mingle. Uh, I'd say bring a friend if you can, but if you can't, they usually make it uh, easy to show up on your own. Um, There's also something called a munch that you can look up. Uh, almost every area has this and it's a it's a non-sexual gathering in a public place of kinky people uh, and it's just a social gathering so you can kind of meet like-minded people um, I would say that if you've never done anything kinky keep play out of your mind for your first few interactions um, like really you want to learn you want to s- figure out what you might like you want to learn how to vet your play partners you want to learn how to know who a safe person is um, you want to kind of learn the lay of the land of play parties and stuff, uh, definitely go and experience some low pressure environments with kinky people first, um, and do some of your own research before you, you know, you're diving in on FetLife, meeting up with strangers or calling pro doms or any of that stuff. Like you can take it, it's the kink community is going to be there tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. <laughs> so if you really like it, you can take your time. Um, so do you have anything to plug? Uh, do you have a social media presence? Anything you would like our listeners to uh, know about where to find you or whatever? Yeah, so I am on Twitter. That's probably the main social media I use, at Violet Faraday. And I'm also on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Miss Violet Faraday, M-I-S-S. Uh, the next thing coming up is I am throwing a huge party on April 14th. It's called Wallet Chain. It is a joint birthday party for me and my friend Lux Lives. It's going to have comedy, clowns, kink performances, fire performers, um, really cool drink specials, dance floor, DJs, vendors. It's a, it's a big event. So if you get on my social media, you can see tickets for that. Yeah, that's right. Our friend Jake's going to be on that, right? Yeah, yeah, Jake's doing a comedy set. It's new metal themed, which I really like, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah. I um, have never seen a new metal themed party before, especially not in the kink uh, sphere. So I decided I wanted to throw one for my birthday. I'm it's gotten of, really yeah. out of hand. Though. I'm kind of like, glad that so many new metal, like new metal, like, we're finally able to kind of reckon with it. You know, like it, it felt so kind of embarrassing for such a long time. Like when we were all like, in the early 2000s in like the Andy Sleaze era and we were like oh my god that was so embarrassing and we all had like white people with dreadlocks and oh god how cringe the corn was so bad and now like we're kind of like eh, it was just fun dumb you know dumb guy music yeah, like it, it was just it's just it, it's what metal has always been it's just like fun music for dumb guys it's fine I, I I prefer the like puddle of mud she fucking hates me misogyny to like the father John Misty like irony misogyny anyway <laughs> yeah. like i love the dumb guy music <laughs> yeah dude, like dumb music's fun i don't know it's it's it's, it's, fun. it's fun and it's like kill the part of you that cringes yeah like not not the part of you that's cringe like that's that's what was so good about limp biscuit <laughs> exactly well thank you so much for talking um, this was lovely thank you
Anyway, yeah, so the car alarm's still going. Um, and this is the end of the show. Uh, but yeah, rate and review, iTunes. I don't have time to wait for it to stop because it's been going on and on and on. These fucking idiots can't turn off their car alarm. Hey, has a car alarm ever actually stopped a car theft? Or do they more mostly just for, like, annoying everybody in the neighborhood? I don't know. Um, rate and review, iTunes, Patreon.com. I'm going to try and put out some bonus content. Like I said, it's going to be slow going, but I, I very much appreciate your help and support as I am still making uh, no money at the time being. Um, and that's all, uh, you know... Tell a friend, put us in your Instagram stories. Oh, good. They turned it off. They figured it out. Good job, guys. Thank you. You're really good at cars. Okay. Anyway. Uh, that's all. I'm uh, Brad Pearson, uh, RIP Jerry Springer. Uh, <laughs> take care of yourselves and each other.